I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016. And he's also a board certified dermatologist who received a perfect score on his SAT. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So I just wanted to share with all your listeners real quick that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one tutoring programs, you can get 30% off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process Podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code College Talk, one word, just College Talk, and that'll give you 30% off all Prep Expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one on one tutoring packages. Make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast. Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made using our coupon code, which is College Talk, the College Admissions Process Podcast will receive a small commission from Prep Expert. But rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. For more information, please see the Prep Expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Tim Fields, who's the Senior Associate Dean of Admissions at Emory University. Tim, so great to have you here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation. Well, it's our pleasure, so let's get right to it, Tim. Why don't you tell us, what is it about Emory that makes it so appealing for so many students who want to apply and ultimately attend? Excellent question. So you know, one of the things, you know, I've been at Emory almost 20 years, and as I can imagine, a lot of your uh, other college reps, you know, we all want to tout our research opportunities. We want to tout our study abroad, our academic programs. And of course, Emory, you know, has great programs in all of those areas. But I always like to highlight there are two distinct things that I think sets Emory apart. The first being the city of Atlanta and all it has to offer not only from just kind of a, a cultural perspective and, you know, extracurricular activities, concerts, sporting events, um, you know, uh, museums and all those things, but also from a professional perspective. So as students want to have internships, uh, Atlanta's number three as far as Fortune 500 companies. Uh, then, you know, Atlanta's number three as far as nonprofits. It's a leader in the film and media industry. So it's going beyond just you having an academic experience at Emory, but what opportunities do you have uh, beyond the classroom to really prepare you for what you want to do uh, beyond that? And then, you know, Atlanta has always been a leader in civil rights and social justice. And so students have those additional opportunities. So I think that's the first reason I really think that sets Emory apart. The next is kind of the diversity. And so when I talk about diversity, I'm really kind of highlighting what makes students unique. Uh, We have students from all 50 states. We have students from over 100 countries around the world. Uh, There are over uh, 85 different first languages spoken uh, at Emory. Uh, So, you know, and then there's diversity as far as perspective, as far as, you know, 
uh, social economics in all kinds of ways. And so when you're coming to Emory, you're truly having a global experience. And we want to highlight that diversity, not only formally inside the classroom, as far as the different perspectives the students are going to bring, but also beyond the classroom. Like what are the conversations you're having in the residential halls, in the dining halls, as you're walking across the table? And so, you know, of course I could talk about the over 80 academic programs we have, you know, kind of the focus that we have in STEM and natural sciences and preparation for students to go on to medical school. One of our, our top programs is our English and creative writing. I can talk about all those programs, which are, are great programs, but really I think for purposes of this conversation in your audience, I really want to highlight just what all the city of Atlanta offers students as far as their educational experiences, opportunities, and then the true diversity that they'll experience uh, throughout their time as they're thinking about uh, considering a place like Emory. Well, I really appreciate that comprehensive answer and no wonder why so many students want to not only apply, but ultimately attend because it really sounds like there's truly something for everyone, not only on your campus in terms of all the great programs that you offer in your classrooms and beyond, but also everything that's available to students in the great city of Atlanta. So Tim, thanks again for that comprehensive introduction. We really appreciate it. So tell me how many applications does the admissions team at Emory review a year and do you personally represent a specific region? Yes. Yeah, so we uh, last year received a little over 30,000 applications. And so we do what we call a uh, community-based evaluation in which, you know, we read in tandem. Uh, so I personally am responsible for the state of Illinois. So any application from the state of Illinois, I serve as the lead reader in that. But all applications that I read, there will be somebody else from our team that will be reading it. And so we uh, split up the application. So I read the transcript for familiarity of school, the council recommendation for kind of understanding the school. Um, my co partner will look at the essays. Uh, they'll look at the extracurricular activities um, and additional demographic you know, information. Uh, also, I will review the transcript. And then over the uh, course of 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long it takes us to review that application, we will ultimately uh, make a decision. And as a territory manager, I serve as kind of the, the lead as far as making that decision. I also oversee the Midwest, or what we call central states. So everything essentially in the middle of the country, uh, we have a committee and we review all those applications as well. And I lead uh, that team. So all 30,000 of our applications are going to be re reviewed at a minimum of two people. And so there are additional committees that we have. So any application, you know, may be received, reviewed 15 minutes or maybe reviewed an hour through committee, depending upon just where that, you know, cycle of that application. But just uh, a lot of applications, we take our time, we're very thoughtful about it look at all the components of the applications in tandem as we go about making the decision so every student gets a good review. But 30,000 applications, it's a lot to get through. Um, I'll say on any given year, uh, I'll probably review between 1,000 and 1,200 applications, and we review applications essentially from October all the way through the end of March. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of reading, um, but we like to take our time and be, be very thoughtful about the process. So we don't want parents or students to think that we're looking at a GPA, a test score, and we're making a decision. Uh, there are lots of people who are looking at all the components of the application and really being thoughtful about the decisions we make. 
Well, thank you so much for the comprehensive overview of the process. I know that a lot of students and parents are very interested in terms of what happens once they hit submit on that application. So we appreciate the insight, Tim. And what is the average profile of the current freshman class in terms of GPA and any other related data that you collect, of course, such as SAT or ACT scores? Yeah, so the average uh, GPA unweighted for incoming uh, first-year students this year is about a 3.9. And so we are going to, you know, unweight your GPA. Uh, we're going to only look at grades your sophomore, junior, and senior year. We think your freshman year uh, was a long time ago, so we don't think it was reflective of where you are at as a senior preparing uh, to come to college. Uh, you know, your curriculum, the courses you take is really going to be the foundation of that. And so that's really going to be very, very important. Um, we are test optional. Uh, so, you know, the, this upcoming cycle. So anybody who's a rising senior, uh, we will be test optional. If you're a junior, sophomore, we're still evaluating and hope to make a decision. So the average, the middle 50 percentile for the ACT is going to be between a uh, 33 and a 35. And then for the SAT is somewhere between um, 1470 and 1500. Now those numbers right now are going to be skewed to the higher end because students who test high, who test well, are going to be the students who are going to submit test scores. Uh, but I do want to continue to emphasize where test optional, your grades, your courses are going to be the most important part of the application. So you know I can imagine a lot of people get sidetracked on kind of this whole idea of testing. We are looking at what you've done throughout your high school career, what courses you've taken, and that is the foundation and really the driving force of the decision. So testing is just one more part of it, but uh, those are the ranges that we'll be uh, looking. But of course, we look at it several other things beyond that. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, we appreciate that. And you mentioned the test optional nature of the application process, which of course more and more schools are going towards. So let me ask you, can you share, Tim, the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that in fact did not submit their test scores? Again, many students and their parents believe test optional is a myth. So any data that you can share would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so of the, you know, our incoming admitted class, uh, there were about 60% of those students submitted some form of testing, which means 40% did not submit um, testing. And so let me just kind of delve a little bit deeper into that. And so that 60%, those people submitted an SAT or an ACT score. 40% did not submit one of those scores. But also within that 40%, they may have submitted an AP score, an IB score, or some additional testing that they really felt highlighted, you know, their application. So, you know, for students 
who did not submit any testing at all, who just submitted transcript, didn't submit any AP scores, IB scores, or anything like that. Uh, that number is a little bit small, and that number is around about 25%. Uh, percent. So, you know, as you know, you're asking these questions, people just say testing, they assume we're just talking about ACT and SAT. Uh, but, you know, there are students that, you know, score fives and fours on their AP exam, and they're just submitting that which is an additional uh, point that we can uh, look at, that, that we look review in the application process. And so it gets a little you know, convoluted, um, but the, I think the takeaway is there are students who apply, who do not submit any test scores at all, and that are getting into our institutions. Well, we appreciate that overview. And again, the insight in the review of the application. And speaking of which, Tim, when you are reviewing an application, and you look at a student's transcript, what are the first things you notice as part of your evaluation process? The first things we notice is the rigor of the curriculum. You know, I'll, I'll speak for Emory, but I'll speak for, you know, selected schools like Emory. You have to challenge yourself based upon what's available to you in your high school. And so there's a myth that we compare high schools. We don't compare high schools. We don't care if you go to a, a blue ribbon public, a independent, a charter, homeschooled, what was available to you and your academic offerings at your school or in your program and did you challenge yourself that? So just a very clear example, if you go to AP school and there are 25 APs and those APs aren't capped, our expectation is that you will have taken some. Are we counting saying you need to take X number of APs to get in? No, we are not. But I can say with 100% confidence in my 20 years of doing this, if a student goes to a comprehensive AP school and they don't take any APs, it doesn't matter what their GPA is, they are not going to be competitive in that process. So if you are looking at a place like Emory, you have to challenge yourself. You have to take you know, these higher level AP, IB, dual enrollment, whatever is available uh, to you. So that's going to be the first thing that when I look at a transcript, I'm looking at the courses. What did they take? Because, you know, earlier I gave the average incoming GPA is about a 3.9. The courses that a student takes is the context of that. So there are students who have 4.0s, but they haven't challenged themselves in the curriculums. There are students who have 3.5s who have really taken a challenging curriculum and maximized uh, the, you know, AP curriculum at that school, or the IB curriculum at that school, and their GPA may be a little bit lower, but we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt saying your GPA is lower, but you have challenged yourself in a different way. So yes, the, the rigor of the course or the courses that the students are taking is the first thing that stands out and really sets the tone for what the potential decision will be on that application. Well, again, we appreciate that overview and a real inside look in terms of different examples, a school that may have 25 AP courses. Did you challenge yourself, students, or not? Like Tim said, based on what you did or didn't do, they're going to look at you to see if, in fact, you put your best foot forward throughout your four years of high school. So great insight, Tim, which leads me to my next question. What is the percentage of applicants that get placed on a wait list and do you know what is the percentage of those applicants that ultimately get accepted? And is there anything that students can do to enhance their chances of being accepted if, in fact, they end up on a wait list? Yeah, so we don't keep up with percentages um, of students that go on, on the wait list. Uh, but what I'll say is um, at Emory, we utilize the term wait list seriously. So if a student is placed on our wait list, uh, that is a student that is in serious consideration 
that we think can come to Emory, that can be part of our community, that can offer something and receive serious consideration in the application process. It's unfortunately, they're just limited spots. So we wish we could accept far more than we do, but the reality as far as our incoming class, the number of acceptances we can you know, put out, admits we can put out in the world, uh, that's just going to be limited. And so when a student does um, get receive a waitlist offer, they have to put themselves on uh, the waitlist. And so, you know, that's why it's hard to give a percentage because the amount of waitlists that we may, uh, you know, offer students, other students may be admitted to other places, they may never arrive on that waitlist. And so, you know, this year, you know, I'll say there were roughly about, you know, 3,000 students who wanted to remain on our waitlist. And then of those uh, in this cycle, and it, it, it varies from cycle to cycle, um, we probably called about um, 500, 600 students uh, for potentially to come off the waitlist. And, the, and you know, the number sounds big, but you know you have to keep in mind the waitlist activity really doesn't happen until the mid part of May, early part of June. A lot of students have already made their decision that they want to go elsewhere. And so for every six students, one will accept. So you know others will be like, thanks for the offer. I decided to go here. You know, thanks for the offer. The financial aid I'm receiving is better someplace else. So, you know, the waitlist activity is going to vary. We're going to have to make a lot more asks to get people off the waitlist just because other people have made decisions as far as where they um, want to go. So in the case that you are on the waitlist, what, what can you do? The first thing to do is, like I said, many schools, you have to actively put yourself on it. So you'll receive the waitlist offer and then, you know, many so schools will say, if you want to accept, remain on this waitlist, you know, please add your name to here so that you're actively on their waitlist. Just receiving the letter does not put you on the waitlist. Usually there's some active, something active action that you need to take to be part of that waitlist. The next thing is uh, to submit additional information. Um, of course, if you have additional grades, that's always helpful. A lot of students submit a, an additional letter expressing continued interest. Uh, then, you know, depending upon what is happening during the spring, there may be additional awards that you may have received. So anything that you can add to your application is going to be very, very helpful um, when it comes time uh, to review those applications. And then, of course, I think touching base with your territory manager. As I said, I uh, review application for the state of Illinois for Emory. And so if somebody is, uh, you know, on the wait list for Emory, um, you know, it behooves them to, you know, just send me a note to say, hey, I'm interested in continue to stay on the wait list. And that at Emory, if you receive a wait list, you are con in consideration for, you know, at Emory. It's just not we're just a holding pattern. It's just not we didn't want to make an answer. At Emory, we are very clear that we want to make an answer. If it's a deny, it's a deny. If it's a wait list, it's this is a student that can come to Emory. And if it's admit, it's obviously some, something that a student that we've seen a lot in that we want to offer um, acceptance to. Well, those are all great pieces of advice. What are some of the things, Tim, that students do to demonstrate their interest? Again, whether they're on the wait list or not, demonstrated interest is something that we talk about a lot. So what are some of the things that students can do? And do you, in fact, at Emory, track any of it? So we don't track demonstrated interest at Emory. So it's, it's nothing that if you come to Emory, you know, 30 times and email uh, the admission officer every day, you don't have an advantage of somebody who just some, some just simply submitted an application. 
So we don't track demonstrated interest. However, I think, you know, ways that students can, you know, show that they're interested, the, the first and foremost is applying early decision. Early decision, this is my number one choice. This is where I want to be. Um, that is something that, you know, we take very, you know, seriously. Um, and roughly about 40 to 45% of our class is made through early decision one and two. So, you know, while we don't track demonstrated interest, we take very seriously the binding nature of early decision and students wanting to put themselves in that. You know, obviously, you know, I, you know, travel, do virtual programs, and I'm constantly giving away my contact information. Uh, I think, you know, the admission officer is always a great point of contact for questions that you have specific to school. And so while, you know, we don't track demonstrated interest, I like, you know, enjoy talking with students, answering questions, having uh, that engagement without, you know, throughout this process and helping them out. So, you know, always following up with your territory manager is something uh, that I think is very, very, you know, important. And then, you know, this is not in a formal way, but I think does play into the process. As you think about your essays, uh, there are several supplemental essays that ask specifically about, you know, why Emory, why insert school. And so you really highlighting your knowledge of the school, moving beyond what you read online, moving beyond what you read on, read in the view book. But what is it about that institution that really resonates with you to see why you could see yourself there for four years? That's something that also comes up. We can definitely read in essays, people who say who are just writing, uh, regurgitating information from the view book versus students who have a sincere connection with that institution and see themselves there and highlight programs or community or certain aspects uh, that, you know, really can add uh, to their application. So definitely your voice and your essays and really, you know, connecting with that school and articulating that is another way that students can really demonstrate their interests as well. Well, that's a great piece of advice, particularly the supplemental essay, the Why Emory essay. And it's important students to also not use the same essay for every single school. If it's a supplemental asking specific, why do you want to go to Emory University? Take the time to research the programs and answer specifically to Emory. And also, I like the fact that you mentioned ED, you know, early decision, which of course is binding. I was curious, Tim, what other ways can a student apply in addition to ED? And are there any benefits to applying one way over the other? Yeah, so this is an excellent question, and it's, it's evolved. So if you would have asked me five years ago, I would have said there's no difference if you apply early decision versus regular decision. Um, but the reality is, is as you know, people are applying to more schools, it's becoming more selective. Uh, schools are looking at their enrollment management models. Uh, there seems to be um, some, you know, true to the narrative. You know, applying early, you know, could help you out in uh, the process. And so, you know, you can apply to Emory Early Decision 1, which is November the 1st, Early Decision 2, which is January the 1st, and then that's also our regular decision deadline. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about our November 15th deadline, which is our Emory Scholars deadline. So any student who wants any merit money um, needs to apply by November 15th. By applying by November 15th, you're not part of the Early Decision Binding Agreement. You're simply saying, I want to apply early. I want to be considered for merit aid. And you will if you apply by November the 15th. Uh, so I said roughly about, you know, 40 to 45 percent of our class is made through early decision one and early decision two. And, you know, that's, you know, depending upon the year can be three thousand students who are applying. 
versus the 27,000 who are going to be applying through regular decision. And so that's almost half of the class is made uh, through these early decision plans. And so is it easier? No, it's not easier. We're looking at the same thing. We're looking at your academic profile. We're looking at your letters of recommendation, extracurricular activities. We're looking at, through that all in the same light. However, the difference is you are only competing against 3,000 students versus 27,000. And so, you know, I wouldn't say it's easier, but I think a lot of schools are taking more students earlier. And so if you want to kind of be competitive in the process and not have to compete with as many people, then yes, I would encourage, you know, students looking at applying early. Uh, there's some schools that have early action. That's definitely a great opportunity. But for us, um, first and foremost, we want you, if you apply early decision one, early decision two, to really understand the binding nature of that. If you apply, it's your number one choice. If you're admitted, you'll withdraw your other application. So we want you to be serious about applying to Emory. Uh, we just don't want you trying to gain the system, say, I'm going to apply early because potentially the probability may be higher if I apply early and then I'll see what happens. Uh, we want students to be very serious about you know, wanting to come to Emory as they think about early decision one and early decision two. But yes, in the current higher education landscape, the selectivity, uh, how many people are applying, there are some advantages to applying early, just given how many people apply to all of these highly selected schools like Emory University. Well, that's tremendous insight into your overall process. And I'm hoping that the students and their parents wrote down all of those deadlines, November 15th, in terms of being uh, considered for scholarship money. That's a very important one. So we appreciate you uh, mentioning that. Tim, I was also curious as part of your overall evaluation, do you use the student's high school GPA as indicated on their transcript or do you recalculate using your own metrics? And if so, again, any insight that you could give us would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. So we are going to recalculate uh, the GPA. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, we're going to recalculate it based upon your sophomore, junior, and senior year grades. And so uh, let me just kind of take some time here. So I know some students are at schools who take classes, AP classes their freshman year. Yes, we are going to consider the rigor of the courses. That's going to be factored into it. However, in the recalculation of the GPA, we're going to look at sophomore, junior, and senior year. The other part is if you're, high, if you're at a high school where you take these AP courses and they add points to it, we are going to take it off. So example, um, in Atlanta, they add 10 points to AP courses. So somebody will say, oh, I made it 95 in AP U.S. history. We are going to recalculate that at an 85. Once again, we're going to give you credit for taking the AP course, for challenging yourself, but we are going to recalculate it because we want to know what is the raw grade that you received in that course. And so we're going to recalculate uh, based upon uh, these three years. I want to continue to highlight, you know, the GPA is just a number. It's within the context of what classes you are taking. How have you challenged yourself? So, you know, a lot of times, you know, somebody will say, oh, I have a 4.6 GPA. I don't know what that means. I have to look at what is the profile of the school, what courses were offered, what is the grading scale? You know, we're going to factor on what is an A at your school, what's a B at your school if you have plus A minus, B minus, plus minuses. So we're going to use that grading scale, but we are going to, in fact, uh, recalculate it so we can see what is your true GPA. So in our evaluation process, there's no GPA that's higher than 4.0. So, you know, obviously, you know, we want students to have 4.0s. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there are students who have 3.5s. And, you know, 
that 3.5, depending upon the courses that that student has taken, their upward trajectory, when are they doing well, in addition to all the other aspects of the application are going to be factored in. But yes, recalculated sophomore, junior, senior year, we're going to take any uh, weights and points off, look at what is your raw GPA, and then we're going to uh, begin to evaluate the application in addition to all the other aspects of uh, the student's application and information that they submitted. Well, we appreciate, again, that overview. That's fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing specific examples. You mentioned AP. Tim, I was very curious. Does Emory accept AP, IB, or dual enrollment classes for credit? Yes. So um, AP, fours or fives, uh, will come in as college credit. IB, higher level, only higher level tests, five or higher, will come in as college credit. And then dual enrollment, and this is, you know, we want to take our time with this. Dual enrollment will come in as college credit, but the course has to be in addition to what's required for your graduation required from high school. So if you are taking a dual enrollment college calculus course, but that's what's required for your senior year math credit, that's not going to count. It has to be a course that's taken above and beyond what's required of your uh, graduation. And so whether it be AP, IB, dual enrollment, the maximum amount of credits that a student can bring from high school is going to be 18 credit hours. So there are some students who are in dual enrollment programs, like I'm graduating an associate's degree, I have 66 hours, we're only gonna take 18 credits. So these are some of the decisions that families need to think about. The same is true for if you took you know, 10 AP courses, you score fives on all 10 AP courses, it's really going to only come down to only six of those are going to be uh, transferable into Emory. So 18 credit hours is the maximum that any student coming from high school is going to be able to bring in as their first, as their first year. So, you know, I encourage students and families to think about that. We like to be very, you know, transparent. Um, and so these are some of the decisions that as you are thinking about schools and thinking about how many credits that you can bring in, uh, what limits are that you need to, you know, really kind of think about as a family. But 18 is the maximum amount, but fours and fives on APs, fives on higher, on higher level IB tests and uh, dual enrollment, but it has to be something beyond your high school graduation requirements um, that can't count towards what you did in high school. You can't double dip. You can't say, oh, I needed this to graduate from high school, but I also want to use this for this college I have enrolled in. You're only going to be use, able to use one or the other for the dual enrollment. Well, we appreciate that. And going back to the overall application, and you touched upon the essay earlier, but I wanted to ask you, Tim, what are some examples of college essays that really stuck with you? And what advice would you provide a student getting ready to write their college essay? Love this question. And, you know, I don't, not, I'm not trying to skirt around it. It's just, you know, I really just want to answer it directly based upon my experience. Uh, there are a lot of essays that stand out, um, you know, in my years. And the common thing of these essays was they were personal in nature. That as I was reviewing that essay, I felt that there was a connection. There's something additionally that I found out about this student that I hadn't found out otherwise in the application. And, and so, you know, really, if you wanted an essay to stand out, you have to really be personal in nature. You have to really highlight what makes you unique, what differentiates you from other people, other students in the applicant pool, and, and really kind of put any, you know, kind of, you know, unique 
aspects of who you are into that application. And so, yes, read lots of applications about athletes and their accomplishments and, you know, overcoming adversity. But is it personalized? Is it your situation? Read lots of applications about students going on mission trips and, and wanting to make a difference and things that they learn. But, you know, what did you personally learn? So it can't be general. It needs to be, you know, very, very uh, specific. And so, you know, I, as I mentioned, I read, you know, thousands of uh, essays during a cycle. And, you know, the thing that stands out is, you know, what is it about you? I encourage students that if you want to write about something to stand out, have it be something I haven't, other, I haven't otherwise found out in the application. As I mentioned, there are lots of people who participate in athletics, band, theater, and do all, all these things are listed on your activities page. So if you want to continue to write about that in your essays, you can, but I would rather say, you know, what's something else that I haven't found out about you? Um, you know, your letters of recommendation are going to kind of touch upon those accolades that you have. But you really, especially if applying a place like Emory, 30,000 applications, what makes you different? Because the reality is everybody has a good GPA. If somebody submits a test score, it's going to be great. Letters of recommendation are going to stand out. Your extracurricular activities are going to be awesome. And so what, what makes you stand out in this process is who are you? What is your voice? And so I would encourage students as you're beginning to think about this process, to really ask, you know, your family, your friends, you know, what makes me unique? Why am I different? You know, why do you like, you know, hanging around me and those personal things and really try and have that come through in the applications, because those are going to be the things to make, uh, you know, uh, students stand out. And, and so when I review essays, it's, you know, easy to kind of, you know, go through an essay that's very general and, you know, doesn't have any depth to it. But when students really kind of make that connection and really kind of share who they are in appropriate ways, uh, those are the applications that really resonate in this process. Well, those are great pieces of advice, and I really hope that the students and parents are listening because it's certainly very helpful in that process of beginning the entire essay, which a lot of people ask about. So great advice, Tim, and my understanding is that you actually did something to provide additional advice to both students and their parents, which is a book that you wrote. Could you tell us about your book, Tim? Absolutely. So um, this September, uh, I have a book coming out, The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, a conversation about education, parenting and race. And so me and my co-author, Shereem Herndon Brown, um, you know, really over the past two years during the pandemic, I uh, wanted to kind of really, you know, dig in uh, to kind of the college admission process and some of the questions uh, that black families and decisions they have to make. Uh, throughout the college process, uh, you know, have the conversation between, you know, PWIs, predominantly white institutions versus HBCUs, historical black college universities, think about where they're going to have their uh, students go to school. And then, of course, we talk about the application process that we've, you know, highlighted throughout. But, you know, we're very excited about it as far as, you know, for students and families, but also for allies and counselors and those working uh, with black students to kind of get a, a little kind of, you know, idea of, you know, what are some of the things that these families are thinking about as they're going through uh, the college admission process. And all families, you know, have different questions. But, you know, one of the things that we saw that there wasn't any book currently in the canon that specifically spoke to a black family. So we wanted to provide, you know, a medium for that. So we're very excited about that and, you know, hope it promotes a lot of good conversations and serves as a resource um, similar to this podcast and other great resources to help families as they navigate college admission. 
Well, Tim, that's terrific. And I always put in the show notes, the Office of Undergraduate Admissions. In this case, it would be for Emory. Please provide me with the link to your book, and I will gladly provide that to the students and their parents in the show notes so that we could give them even more advice and help in this process that we call college admissions. So Tim, this has been an awesome conversation, which leads me to my last question. In closing, what are the top three pieces of advice you would give a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? All right, so I'm gonna go in reverse order. So so number three, (laughs) I will say students and families have a conversation about money very early on. As you go about building uh, this college list, I think a lot of times, you know, uh, families don't have this conversation about cost, how it's going to be paid for. And I think those things have to happen in tandem. You just can't have a student build a list with all these schools without a kind of an understanding of how are we going to pay for that. And that's whether or not you're, you know, have, you know, very well off or, you know, you, you know, will need some need-based financial aid. I think having that very transparent conversation will help kind of guide the schools that you're looking at. Um, The second is, you know, we're in this test optional world and, you know, this is just, you know, my opinion. I say, you know, you prepare for the test, you take the test and, you know, based upon how well you do, you have that score. If you do well on it, that's absolutely available to you. If you don't do well on it, you can have keep it as a secret and nobody has to know. But at least take, you know, the test one time, ACT, SAT, whichever one to see how you do. And then, you know, at least you can make that choice. I think one of the things throughout this process, you know, we want to make students have choices. And it's better to have that available to you to see what choices are available to you as opposed then to not. And then also there's some schools that, you know, require testing for scholarships and all sorts of things. So I would at least say have the choice. And the final thing, and, you know, I tell this to anybody, families, is this is a very personal experience. And I think that U.S. students and parents, as y'all go through this, you need to do what's best for you, your family. Uh, shut out the outside noise. You know, everybody wants to be an expert. Oh, my child went to this school. This is what you need to do. You know, you know what you're looking for. You know the needs of, of, of you as a student, the family. So make it personal. And as long as you make this personal and you think about what is it that we want out of your college experience, you know, what can we afford as a family? What academic areas are you interested in? How far or how close do you want to go to college? You ask those personal questions, I have no doubt that you'll be successful in this process. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time, your insight, your advice. This has been an awesome conversation, and I'm really happy because I know it's going to help so many students and their parents. We really appreciate you and all you've done for us today, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. This has been great. You know, anytime, you know, I can, you know, help out in any way, don't hesitate to reach out to me and, you know, continued uh, success on this great platform. Well, we appreciate it and we hope to have you again, Tim. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.
What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.